Hi, this is Katrina and Richard with Weekend on Fleek, or First and Worst. Or Set to Kill, or Set to Thrill, <laughs> for our particular topic. Synonyms for a later date. Um, we hope you enjoyed the Star Wars podcast. We are coming back to you for a Star Trek, because apparently we have to talk about movies with star in them. Yes. In which okay. case, we will be coming back around for... Stargate, mm-hmm. Star... A Star is Born. Star is Born, which I've never seen any of those, but that could make a debate as well. <laughs> but there you go. There's a lot of stars out there, but we're, we're going to do Star Trek this time, and uh, specifically the first six. Yeah, we felt like tackling the bajillion movies and TV shows and books and what else is that? Video game, who knows what... Star Trek and Star Wars both have massive amounts of content, and uh, so we decided to pare it down to the original six to start with. We may tackle some of those others in the future. Back to the future, also good. Okay. Um, I will say, when we get started, that unlike last time where I feel like, Katrina, you were the Star Wars passionate passionate person whereas I'm probably a little bit more I I love Star Wars but I'm not as in love with Star Wars as you are and now I feel like we flipped the script a little bit here that's right flip the script kudos on saying flip the script however I could not remember the name of the the Tauntaun and so I called it that weird white (laughs) camel thing which you can you know somebody could debate well she she don't like Star Wars she don't even know the name of she can't love it that much (laughs) Um, these six films I watched an insane amount of times through my childhood these are formative movies that I've watched again and again and again I really don't even have to watch them I could probably act them out in six plays one man shows like I know these things I'm quite fond of them whereas you uh, it had been a while. Uh, a long time. Since you had, had watched any of these. A long, long time. And we're certainly not as familiar with them. Yes, but my mine comes from childhood as well with my dad and his love of Star Trek and Captain Kirk and all the all those things. And Star Trek, uh, the next generation was popular when I was a kid too. Right. So that opened up another door. We're not talking about that. We're talking about are uh, the first six here and which one is the strongest and which one is the weakest so should we do strongest first I, I believe that's a good place to start all right so let's start with with doe would you like to start richard sure i think you started the last time and we're we're trying to keep things on a nice even Equitable. pairing here um so my first on the one hand i'd like to tell you that it's hard but it's really not that hard um, they're, they're really interesting movies and they're all very different from one another but if I had to say the first the best it has to be Star Trek 2 Wrath of Khan and that's a very stereotypical answer if you ask most people um, which of the original six is their favorite that's the one that they'll go with and with good reason um, you know second movies don't tend to be better than the first, but this one, boy howdy, um, is a lot better than the first. 
Um, it's not even the same universe. It, it you know, no pun intended. It says Star Trek Two, and I almost feel like that does it a dif- disservice. It is an entity unto itself. <laughs> Don't even put it in the same category as Star Trek One. <laughs> so, but I love this film. I love it because it's intense. Uh, it's it's taut. It has a really uh, interesting dynamic. The actors are all at the top of their game. Uh, the interaction is there, and at the same time, Star Trek works best when it's adventure paired with ethics or a question of right versus wrong. And this film has just enough of a an ethical quandary um, to kind of have that discussion going on, while at the same time having truly an engaging and interesting adventure and a tale of revenge and all that fun stuff. Uh, it's really, it's it's a good, good film. Uh, I... I I think even if you don't like Star Trek, even if you don't watch another Star Trek film, to me, this is a film that could be watched and enjoyed by anybody. I agree with you. I agree. And I I feel like what you said about uh, ethics and stuff, that was part of the original intent of Gene Roddenberry, uh, that it was supposed to be uh, interesting and uh, kind of like a space western you want to categorize it as something Mm -hmm. but with um you know a a message that people would be interested in and i think they he snuck a lot of things in there and like we talk about it after the fact but there were a lot of um uh kind of progressive things that were in that show that were not in other shows Mm -hmm. and uh so yeah should i go into mine now should i just segue into that I will say um, one thing uh, in addition, and that is if you are a fan of the show from its inception, this movie calls back to the TV show in a really interesting and profound way. So if you haven't seen the TV show, they explain it enough so that you understand what's going on. But if you have watched the original episode that this ties into, it actually is, uh, I think, a much uh, deeper and richer film experience because you get to see 15 years prior what happened that led to some of the events that are discussed in this film. I'm glad you said that because I wondered that watching these films, how much of the things in there were touched upon in the mm-hmm. other TV series. Right. So interesting that maybe I'll have to save for a rainy day is watching those guys. Um, but I will have to proclaim that my first for the first six Star Trek films is also The Wrath of Khan. I know you are so surprised. Shocked. Uh, I'm going to give an honorable mention nod to Star Trek Four, the one with the whales. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so quirky. And I, that's one, uh, like a, an imprinted childhood memory I have of that whale one. Like, it was so odd. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> left an impression on my uh, on my little psyche. Can we touch on that one? Because yeah, I, I, sure. I think that one is worth talking about a little bit. Um, it is the, of the original six, it's the highest grossing. So it made the most money. So in terms of like box office popularity, it was the one. Hmm. Um, and it is a funny, funny film. Yeah. 
Um, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed it as a kid. I think I enjoy it more as an adult. Um, I feel like the humor was a little over the head when you're younger. But I really enjoyed it um, watching it as an adult. My reason for not putting it on the number one slot for me is um, it's the end of a trilogy, really. Because two ties into three and then three ties into four and four kind of wraps it up. And there were so many intriguing things that got brought up in two and three that in four don't really get resolved or they get resolved in such a flippant like, whoop, that's done kind of a way. And it's because it's a fun, breezy, you know, whoo, we're on a little fun adventure to save whales kind of thing. A lot of sequels they're making these days. Right. But yeah, I agree. That's a that's a cool one. Why do you think it was the highest grossing? Is it because it was on Earth? Because it was <laughs> relatable? Why was it? I think it was because it... Leonard Nimoy was smart enough because he directed it and wrote it and all that fun stuff. I think he was smart enough to balance respecting Star Trek with being willing to poke fun at Star Trek. Mm. Because it is, they are making fun of themselves in a really clever way. They're saying, if these characters were in 1980s San Francisco, they would be absurd and laughable. And I think that there's something, (laughs) um, there's something fun about watching them in, taking these heroes that have been in the distant future and putting them in a contemporary setting and kind of seeing them struggle with it is, is a lot of laughs. Yeah. That's a cool way of putting it. I like that. So going back to Wrath of Khan, I just have to say dramatically, I mean, it's just hits on some real high notes. It's just, I feel like, uh, more happens in the first, 10 minutes of that film and the entire first film and maybe I should say that comment. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it announces right away this is the kind of film that it's going to be and you said that already it could be a, a great standalone film you don't have to be a Star Trek fan to enjoy it the acting is phenomenal they take care the characters take care to uh, have you invest in the character that they are mm-hmm and it's not in a way that like you get beat over the head with this particular uh, trait. It just like you 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 buy them in this in this setting, and also it, it almost like the the action starts like mid sentence, mm-hmm. and it does not feed you every line, which was my very favorite part of the film because people don't make films like that anymore. They have to feed you every tiny little thing. What. What consumers we are right now. I, it's like we have to be fed every tiny little thing. So you got to make the film three hours long because they've got to, you know, explain all these things. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, to a certain extent and to a certain audience, that makes sense. But as a movie watcher, I was like, oh, they, they assume that I'm intelligent. Right. Or they, you know, made me more intelligent by, by structuring the film that way. I really liked that. Having to exert some effort as you watch as opposed to just passively sitting back and having it spoon-fed to you point by point. Right, which is very unlike what we get most of the time. Agreed. And um, the second thing that I like about it is Khan's monologues. Holy smokes. Mm. 
Holy smokes. Moby Dick thrown in there for good measure and <laughs> Ricardo Montalban and <laughs> he's he's fantastic. He is fantastic. And for uh one of the biggest rumors about this film is that his chest they said was uh, fake. That, <laughs> that they had put a cast on to make his pecs look bigger. And the director uh was asked about this and he's like absolutely not that is his chest that is that man he had those muscles and uh <laughs> so i always got a kick out of that cuz he was so fit that they basically had to uh to convince people that this is really a human being um, <laughs> it is quite impressive he is an impressive fellow and uh, the dynamic between him and kirk is really cool because they don't they're never physically in the same place they always talk over a communicator or over a screen and uh, there's even a part in the movie where Kirk tries to convince him to meet him face to face and Khan won't and it's very different from what we get in most films again these days if you're if you've got two guys who want to kill each other you know that by the end of the film, those two guys are going to be put in the same room together. And by golly, they're going to be allowed to get their feelings out on each other. <laughs> but in this case, they have this distant, antagonistic relationship, which I don't think many films today would let you do. Um, and it, it, to me, it adds tension. It adds a kind of tautness to it. And I will defend uh, William Shatner here for a moment. Uh, Shatner gets called out for being overly dramatic, for having a very Kirk way of pausing and, and speaking in an unusual cadence. To me, um, I think he is, in this role, he is excellent. I think in this film, he is excellent. Uh, he does a great job of not always making the predictable choice. He doesn't always go big and loud. Sometimes he's very quiet and uh, subdued in a moment where you expect something different. And I, I like the, un, the kind of uncharacteristic choices that he made um, as an actor. Well, I agree. Uh, that, I mean, and what else should you want from somebody who tricks the Kobayashi Maru test? Right. So, <laughs> so that he can win. This is somebody that should be unpredictable. And have a range of emotions, and I feel like the like you mentioned the tautness and you mean like good versus evil is going to end up in the same space and they can you know duke it out is it's just very masculine sounding. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything less masculine about the other way either. And if in fact Star Trek in general, I do have to say after watching these six, it's like peering into a man's soul, mm. and like that may be strange to say, but I was like. I feel like I understand men better. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I, I know you're not. <laughs> Which is hilarious. It may be a byproduct of what they were intending. I don't know. But for me personally, that's that's what happened. It, like a, you know, a space western, and it's you know, riding cowboy and the undiscovered country, literally um, going into yeah. this, you know, the unknown and how that's like this epic quest. And I feel like that's like very masculine thing and, and then the the quest for God and a question of God which happens mm -hmm. in the in the later films as well 
um, the, Ahura, the, the, the couple of women that are in the, that are in the movies. I mean, case in point, Ahura, 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 I can't say her name right now. Um, anyway, she barely has any dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden she's like being all friendly, friendly to Scotty. Like, okay, what's going on here? And then she does a naked fan dance. I mean, like, this is a man's show, right? Well, <laughs> you show. open the door and I will walk through it. <laughs> because I was also going to bring that up. Yes, absolutely. Although, props to Uhura, when she did her naked fan dance, she was not a young lady. So, that's in a way, not. I would not put the word progressive on that, but it certainly goes outside um, what you would typically see in a man's film when you have a woman who was probably in her 50s, maybe even 60s, uh, doing that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's different from what you would typically expect. But no, I agree. Women in general in these films are not given much to do. And what they are given to do um, does not more often than not, does not pass muster. With the possible exception of, in Star Trek II, Dr. Carol Marcus, um, Kirk's former love interest, and, spoiler alert, um, mother of his child, dun, dun, dun. Um, is, uh, I feel like, a very, um, kind of a more progressive voice for women which makes her absence in the succeeding films kind of sad for me because she she does a, a very good job and there are other characters who get their moments that are that are women but uhura to me uh yeah is is a classic example of here she is she was in the entire run of the tv show she's in all the films and yet if you added up all of her dialogue across that 30 year span you would get a embarrassingly small amount of pages. Yeah. But her presence still, because of her, her gender, her presence in general, and and the fact that she's African American, which I read about and I thought was really interesting because mm-hmm. she didn't necessarily want to stay with the franchise until she told that to Martin Luther King Jr. himself. Mm-hmm. Hello! And the smile falls from his face and he's like, no, this is one of the only things I can show to my children to tell them that you, we can be equal. Yes. We're not, you know, this, there's no archetype. We can't, you know, we're not stuffed inside a box. And it made her rethink her choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. So another thing we can thank Martin Luther King Jr. for. Yeah. Keeping Uhura around. <laughs> on the ship. Thanks, MLK. <laughs> we sure do appreciate you. We do. We do. Um, absolutely. And absolutely. Yeah, so, respect and honor for Martin Luther King Jr. So anything else you want to add on your comments of uh, Star Trek Two? Oh, just one last thing, and that is, a, the, again, spoiler alert, the sacrifice of Spock. Yes. Which, like, through, through the film, Spock is it's almost like a buddy comedy, like mm-hmm. in an untraditional sense, buddy comedy, like... Kirk is goofy. That man is straight up goofy. He can be dramatic too, but he's goofy. And um, anyway, the two of them together are goofy. And it's just so like, oh, heart-rending when he makes the sacrifice. And it has a lot of dramatic effect. Anyway, so that just gives it more emotional potency. There's no way we could choose any of the other films. 
none of them are as strong or have as much yeah. as that particular one. So we're just going to, like, nobody else's opinion matters. That's just the best. Yeah, I don't think you can... I, I can't see anybody challenging that. Um, I, In fact, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who would say... Even the fourth one, which, you know, is, is really funny. Nobody puts it above Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. I think it's just... It's hard to top. So what is the lowest of the low? What is the... Scraping weakest? the bottom of the barrel. Um... So, so I'm going to tell you what <laughs> I'm going to tell you what a lot of people say is the lowest before I say what the lowest, in my opinion. Okay, go ahead. Um, a great many people will tell you that Star Trek V: The Final Frontier is the worst of the six films, and there are good reasons for this assertion. Um. But I will speak in defense of this movie. Is it a bad movie? In many ways, yes. Why don't you refresh the memory of the people listening? So, for for you who have not seen this film, or for you who have seen it and have repressed it from your memories, um, Star Trek V is a story of Spock's half-brother living on a dust planet who recruits a bunch of his buddies to go find God. Uh, and in order to find God, they have to steal a starship. So they sucker the Enterprise into coming to their planet and then steal uh, the Enterprise and then take everybody to go find God at the center of the galaxy. If that synopsis right there doesn't make you go, hmm, this might not be good, um, watch the movie because it will convince you that it is not good. Um, the premise is faulty. The um, the story does not click well together, and um, as you watch the film, the special effects are dreadful, um, and all these things are true. And yet, um, the special effects are dreadful because poor William Shatner, who wrote and directed the bloody thing, <laughs> um, got his budget slashed again and again and again, oh, and the yeah. poor guy couldn't even get industrial light and magic to do his special effects. He had to find some other little house to do it. And that's why you, as you watch it, are like, hmm, what 14-year-old put this special effect together? <laughs> um, so it's, it is not a good film in many ways. However, it has some really excellent dramatic moments in it. In particular, I would highlight... When Spock's half-brother has the, the fateful three of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy together. And he attempts to convince them that um, he is an emissary of God and that they should follow him. And there, I think DeForest Kelly, the man who plays Bones, is a massively underrated uh, actor and does a, a critically important job in terms of the series. He does not get as much love as Spock, and I think he should. And this moment, he has a moment where you see him struggling with uh, the death of his father and a part that he plays in that death. And it gives DeForest Kelly, the actor, a moment to play a side of this character that we don't get to see much at all and it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful and um, 
Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner in that same scene both get to shine in a dramatic, dialogue-heavy way that while the rest of the movie doesn't work, I could take that 10-minute piece and say, this is some prime acting. Maybe that's because there's no real special effects involved in those 10 minutes uh, (laughs) or no real story. It's just four actors who are playing the push and pull of someone trying to convince other people of his point and the back and forth of, of that struggle uh, to me is really good. So that's a long winded statement. Anything that you would like to chime in on your thoughts of the not worst in my opinion film, but close. The not worst, but close. I was Star just, Trek five. That was a really interesting one, but again, that one as well as all the rest of them in general, again, insight into humanity and men specifically. Yes. And I think you, it would, we would be remiss as humans if we didn't talk about our connection to and our desire to know God and that is a compelling it was a compelling choice to go in that way it was a bold choice and what whatever problems with the special effects um, you know the question is, is valid and one that Star Trek probably should tackle and so yeah it's bad but <laughs> <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things you get the question asked and um, for for what its intent is okay it still, however, is not the worst. The worst is Star Trek motion picture. That is the worst. And, you know, I feel like we are, are agreeing just way too much. Wait for the next couple episodes, guys. <laughs> um, because I must also agree. Star Trek the motion picture is a fetid, rotten carcass of a film that should not grace the canon of Star Trek. It is dreadful. It is so bad. Um, And on paper, it should be so good, right? It's Gene Roddenberry, the creator of the series. He's got the concept. It's Robert Wise, the director of The Sound of Music. You get your whole cast back from the original series, which for a while there, they weren't going to get him back, especially Spock. But at the last minute, they get Spock back in there. And so you're like, oh, this should be awesome. Oh, and it was the most expensive movie that had ever been made at that point in history. How? It cost $49 million to make, which in 1979 is not cheap at all. Wow. So. They did not get their bang for their buck, I was going to say. They did not. Because, like, what did you spend $49 million on something like. I can tell you what they spent. Fluorescent lights, whatever. They spent their $49 million on Kirk and Scotty riding in a little shuttle pod and taking 15 minutes to look at every stinking inch (laughs) of the Starship Enterprise. I mean, truly. It was like they took, they're like, what would it be like if you gave a Starship a medical physical? If you made it turn and cough? If you poked and prodded every orifice, (laughs) if you checked its pupils, what would that look like? And then they did it. And poor, those two actors who are having to stand in this room and the director's like, look like you're amazed. Look like this is the coolest thing you've ever seen. Look like this is beautiful. (laughs) And you know that on the cutting room floor, there were shots of like Shatner rolling his eyes like, really, do I have to look at... 
I mean, it's it's a slog of a movie. Uh, it's it is dreadful. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who want to know, a giant space cloud um, vaporizes some people and starts heading towards Earth, and they send the Enterprise out. Well, Shatner, aka Captain Kirk, is now Admiral Kirk, and he's not in command of the Enterprise anymore. So what does he do? He goes into an office and he's like, kick this kid out. I'm going to be the captain. So he very rudely yanks command out from this younger guy and uh, <laughs> takes his spaceship out to find out what this cloud is doing. And the younger man is not very appreciative of that. Meanwhile, Spock has some kind of uh, Vulcan, I don't know, vision where he makes contact with the cloud and the cloud's like, I'm smart. And he's like, ooh, I want to find out about that cloud. And so he meets up with the Enterprise. I have to pause right there because to our listeners, this movie sounds way more interesting the way Richard is describing it than it actually is. Okay, continue. So he meets up with the Enterprise and then uh, begins to kind of pursue his own agenda about this cloud. And when you find out what the cloud is... um, I don't know. Do we want to tell them what the cloud is? Because that's pretty big spoiler material yeah, right there. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and explain it? Because I don't know. So the cloud is a satellite named Voyager 6 sent from the planet Earth back in, I think they said the 90s. Who knows? We did lots of stuff in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and some aliens got a hold of it and gave it one heck of an upgrade, turned it into a giant cloud robot monster, and said, go, find your creator. And so it's looking for God. And, there you go. Uh, again, can we just say here, the two films where they go looking for God, the worst. So maybe Star Trek shouldn't ask questions about God because they get it wrong. Because they get it wrong. And they get it boring. Um, they even have like a whole like Adam and Eve kind of a Yes, thing. yes. And so there are a couple of problems with this movie. Number one, and, and this is one that only Star Trek nerds will know, Gene Roddenberry already did this script. He ripped it off of himself. It was a script from the original series. They did this exact same storyline. And the man, I guess, said to himself, I'm sure no one will notice if I do the same thing. Um, and so. For two hours. Oh, was it just two hours? It feels like four. It was um, ridiculously long. Oh, good grief. So, Hold on, i got to look up how long it actually is. It is a ridiculously, like, he steals from himself. I guess if you're going to steal from someone, why not steal from yourself? Um, so there's problem number one. Problem number two, when you see Kirk and Spock and Scotty and all these people, most of the time they're acting... Um, not like themselves. And um, I f- the, the, the actions and the behaviors of the individuals, they just, aren't, they just aren't what they were. And Star Trek lives and dies on sprinkling in some humor into a story. And this story contained... Um, was there a joke? I may have slept through it. If there was, uh, was not funny. It's too busy closing my eyes against all them Technicolors. But yo, that movie was two hours and twenty five minutes long. I believe it. I believe every yo, second. Yo, could have told it. the same story in five minutes. 
<laughs> we could have put this whole podcast in there, you know, seven times. But it's dull. It's um, it's it's just it's boring. I mean, that's <laughs> I feel, that's really the biggest. I feel like it was real strange, and I, I'm a Doctor Who fan, so nobody slapped me for this. I feel like it had Doctor Who level weirdness. And I love me some Doctor Who, but it's weird. Mm. It's quirky weird. Except that it was Doctor Who level weirdness, but without any of the charm or ability to hold your interest. Yes. When they go inside the cloud, which, by the way, as I was watching this with my wife, because I've introduced my wife to all Star Trek things. I have shielded her from this movie for as long as possible. (laughs) And so when this podcast came around, I was like, all right, it's time. We have to do this. And she's watching the scene where they go inside the cloud and she's like, are they going to stop going inside the cloud anytime soon? <laughs> like, are we still going to be in the cloud? Can we skip ahead? Because it's just shot of like LSD fueled cloud visions and then the cast looking like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like that's, exactly, that's it. That's half the movie. That if is. you edited that out, it might actually be, you know, you know a semi-decent episode of Powerful. television. Yeah. Um, That's enough. So, I think that we've uh, beaten that horse uh, sufficiently to death. Anything else? That, that was the worst. It as was. a parting shot, as, as a final word, uh, let me ask you this question in relation to our last podcast. Could Star Wars and Star Trek be in the same universe? I will put a hard and fast no. Okay, why? Um, number one, Star Trek is very, um, it's not scientifically accurate, but it does try and exist within a certain confine of rules of, you know, warp speed and, and an explanation of how things work and an explanation of scientifically, how does, how do we do this and how do we do that? Whereas Star Wars is like, dude, we're light speed and we can <laughs> cross Half the galaxy. They were a long time ago in, in light galaxy speed. Far, far away. Their galaxy's like this big, apparently, because light speed, guys, <laughs> not that fast. So you have uh, just very different worlds and very different ways of um, interacting it's with. Castle Run <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I love both. So this is not a dig against one versus the other, but. St- Star, uh, Star Wars is much more like a fable. It's much more like a story that you go to watch um, for the the themes and the drama and the story. Whereas Star Trek, there's a little bit more of a technical um, flavor to it that I just don't see. Like, if Spock were to go on to the Millennium Falcon, what would he do? First thing he would do, he'd go to the engine room. He'd be like, how does this device function? And... Well, he could have a conversation with Ray. No, Chewie would talk to him. <laughs> that would actually be a really good. And of course, Spock would understand it. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. So. And I think we should end on that note. Just you and your imagination with Chewie and Spock doing what you do, having a, a very interesting conversation. Way more interesting than, than Star Trek. The motion, the motion picture. picture. Possibly even more interesting than The Wrath of Khan, but maybe not. Uh, Because that's our favorite. That that was our best. That is beloved. That was our best. Um, Let's see. Do I have any final words? Um, Final word, I love Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. I think it is a really good swan song for the cast. Um, It's not the best movie, 
but they manage to wrap it up in such a way that you say, okay, I'm comfortable with the way that these guys have walked off the scene. Um, it's not perfect. Obviously, it's not on my number one, but I do, I do enjoy watching it. And it has, that, that's another thing. Let's talk about the music for just a minute. Even the, the dreadful motion picture has a good score. I feel like uh, Star, Trek, Star Wars gets a lot of praise for its music, but Star Trek also has some really good uh, music floating around. It is good. It is good. I don't think it... No, that's, was, a, that's a real grudging. I was about to say... It's, it's good. It's, it's good. It's, it's but, no John Williams. But I was about to say, but you just mentioned Star Wars in the same breath, and that's like a real tender subject for me, okay? This is where the debate's going to come in, guys, because I'm like, I'll bring my Jerry Goldsmith Star Trek up against your John Williams Star Wars. And I will take you down. Bob. Like a fox, you I will. I will take you down. Um... <laughs> Anyway, All right, so go listen to four things get violent over here. Um, Blood's gonna spurt out. She's gonna pull out her lightsaber. I'm gonna have my phaser, and I will die because lightsabers don't abide by any natural <laughs> law. Um, so let me have my fantasy. There you go. Be quiet. <laughs> no, I, actually, I do have one last question, and this will settle a great many things. Okay. Would you rather live on? The Starship Enterprise or on the Millennium Falcon? Live. Live? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask another question. Is Han Solo on the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> and is he single? Maybe that's the other... Uh, is Leia out of the picture now? If I put little cinnamon buns on the side of my head... <laughs> this, is, this is my question. And I think I completely valid. Okay. Uh, uh, well, let's, let's say that he's not... Well, is Lando Calrissian on the <laughs> Okay, clearly we're not going to get a straight answer here. I'm just saying, living on the Enterprise sounds a lot more comfortable than uh, kicking it in Star Wars land where you're drinking blue milk and having... Possibly encountering yeah. Jabba the Hutt and, yeah. and the Emperor and Darth Vader. All right, folks, well... Before we venture too far into Star Wars versus Star Trek territory, we shall call it a close. If you have not seen the Star Wars films, uh, skip one. Star start Trek. with two. Star Trek. So, Star Trek. My apologies. Start with uh, episode two, um, The Wrath of Khan. Never go to the motion picture and proceed <laughs> along those lines. And you will be safe. You will not be harmed. Uh, you will enjoy much of what you see. And if, know a little bit more about humanity and men in general. Yes. There you go. But if you go to one, beware. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And that is first and worst. We can flake. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>